This is a podcast by Outside the Colony. My name is Bernard Sweeney. I'm an Irish traveller. I'm located here at the moment in the middle of the Pale in Dublin, uh, but I do come from Sligo, the west coast of Ireland, a very Gaelic cultural uh, world once upon a time. And I'm joined with a legend, and his name is Grafton Puxton. And Grafton's going to tell you a bit about himself, what he does. But for me, he's a fascinating human being and has been around longer um, than myself because I wasn't even born when this guy was still running around the streets of Dublin protesting for human rights. So, Grafton Puxton, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and take all the time in the world. Well, hello, Bernard. Yeah, well, you know, I'm 82 years old now. Uh, so I'm a, very much a veteran. We didn't call ourselves activists back, back in the 60s, but I guess that's what I've been um, hijacked into. And they explain how that happens, perhaps. Because I came over to Ireland, you know, um, to, to escape military service, to keep out of the British Army. I was just a, a reporter on a local paper. That's in about 1960. And came over to Ireland, get out of military service, and got this place. To, I mean, I was in Ireland for a while, but anyway, to cut the story a little shorter, I got a piece of ground up at uh, Bow Bridge, or down at Bow Bridge, if you like, on, on the west side of Dublin. And uh, I got a wagon. I went out to Balbriggan and met some of the prices. I bought a wagon from them. I bought it down to this old property, uh, which was very strange. You'd have to see it to believe it. It was kind of a, an old, very much dilapidated house. But up above it, raised above it, was this garden in, in the background, a little sandy lane leading into it. And I put my wagon up there because the house was hardly fit for habitation and in fact was um, ordered to be pulled down within a, within a few years. Anyway, I was up there with this wagon and uh, below me on, on the ground around Bow Bridge were some travelers with a tent. That was, uh, his name was Keenan, Kevin Keenan. And, uh, you know, we were okay and we were sort of neighbors. And then along came this fella who I didn't, of course, know, but I knew very well soon, we called Big Bill. So that was Bill Reynolds. It you turns traveler? out that he, his name was Bill Reynolds. Was he a traveler? No. Oh, oh. This, was the, this, was the, this was the count, the Dublin Corporation's chief. Uh, we call him a bailiff. Um, he was, it was his job to move travelers on. His job, wow. And he had been a blue shirt which you probably know the history of that. He'd been on the, the Franco side. In Could the you explain Franco to people war. what blue shirt means, just because people, I, I've a vague, yeah. all of an idea myself, but I'd like you to explain it just for well, instance. There was a, there was a, if I remember rightly, there was a general, a Duff, uh, who put this contingent together, the blue shirts, to fight on the Franco side in the, in the Spanish Civil War. Of course, that had been years before but anyway there he was a big man in a cloth cap with big boots on came rattling up to my my wagon and banging on it, and I didn't know who the hell he was but he said look you can't stop here well I said hey I've just bought this piece of ground he said never mind as you know there's there's regulations if you're not off here in a week you know I'll, I'll have you off so I then set off uh with with Kevin Keenan and 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 the, and the ones who were in the tent, and we went off up to up to a place called the Ring Road, um, which is on on the edge of Ballyfermot, I think, still Dublin Eight, 
And uh, that, that's where it all started, up there on the Ring Road. But as I say, before I go into much more about that, I really want to remember some of the people that, 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 that were in the traveler movement. Again, we didn't call it a movement at that time very much, but, um, and the first person to mention is Tommy Doherty. Because Tommy Doherty has the distinction of having started the very first traveler organization that I know of. Anyhow, I don't think you can beat it. 1959, Tommy Doherty was living in Leeds and formed the Society of Traveling People. And that, as I say, back in 1959, that, that beats anybody else, I think. Wow. Um, second person I talk about, because Tommy and I had had, a, had great times together for years, and he he was the only person uh, who, who had that kind of authority and um, leadership quality to go around and say, look, we've, we've got to get together in greater groups to, to prevent evictions. And he, he, he could call 100 trailers onto a piece of ground, you know, up in, up in the up in the north and up in up in the Midlands of Birmingham, um, he could get a great lot of people together and successfully did that. It was, it was a great person to, to organize. Also, there was, of course, Pops Johnny Connors, who was with me in Dublin for a while, but was more active again in the Midlands. Um, just a great person. Uh, he was at the famous Battle of Brown Hills near Coventry, where, the, I don't know if you know this story, but there was about 40 trailers on a piece of ground there. And they had an enormous uh, force of police. It was like it was like a battalion of police. You, they came in a, in a formation towards us. Uh, I had my trailer there at the front, took the wheels off it, but that didn't deter them because it was eventually that, that trailer was picked up and put on a low loader and taken off down the motorway about five miles. There was a great set too, and the local council, it was a Brown Hills council, pulled all the wagons out onto the road with their tractors. And then the police closed in on us again, and they said, now you've got to shift because you are blocking the highway. And we said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we said, we didn't put the trailers here. We didn't give permission to anybody to touch our trailers. They, they, and I pointed to the guys with the tractors that they put us out here and, uh, you know, we're not shifting. And so some people went off down the pub and I stood there with, with Johnny Connors and argued it out. And eventually the police agreed that it was the council who blocked the road. And the council had to come back with those same tractors and pull us back onto <laughs> another bit of land somewhere else. It nice victory, nice victory. <laughs> of course, in those days, we were glad to get an extra week or few days anywhere. Um, but a very small site, if I remember, you know, for 10 or maybe 10 or 15 trailers was set up, a temporary site with a standpipe. So that, that was, in those days, that was quite a victory. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the, a young journalist uh, came over from England. You came to Dublin. You met up with travellers. You've seen their plight. Now, you said 1959, you mentioned one day travel organization or movement, whatever, what, what was that time? To this moment, I mean, uh, has it always been like this? Has it been like year in, year out, decade in, decade out, where the state have been either suppressing or aggressing against minorities? Would it be Roma? Would it be travelers or so on? Is it like a nonstop battle? 
nonstop, nonstop. But of course, in the in the older times, I'm sure you know better than me that uh, travelers had were more were more had a place in in the economy because you know I remember at Cherry Orchard that some people like Marty Ward they still had their uh, their little anvils. There were special, very light anvils that you could stick in the ground. They're kind of a T-shaped anvil. I don't know if you've seen yeah, one of these. I have, yeah. Just stick, yeah, stick it in the ground, and they could. Uh, you know, knock out anything on there, anything on there. And I, I'll just show you something that I've got. Yeah. This is no piece of tinware, but it's a massive, great copper, uh, copper coal, coal holder, if you like. But uh, that that's made by travelers and, 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 and was, in fact, presented me as, as a bit of a, um, oh, back in the early days, Grafton, there, there would be yeah. less there would be less plastic, I guess, and there was more need for pots, pans, buckets, yeah, cups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and rip, so repair. this is why and travellers they were like accepted or at least tolerated because they had skills. Yeah. And then when the plastic came in, yeah, and yeah, I can see where it, it went downhill from there. Tell well, us about Thomas uh, horse trading and all that, of course. And no, did Thomas Doherty live in Dublin with yourself at the time? Pardon? Thomas Doherty. Did he live in Dublin or was he in England? Tommy. Yeah. Ah, well, he came, came later on in the story, um, in my own personal story. Yeah, of course. Uh, he was brought over to be in a show with me in the Gay Burn Late Late Night Show with Gay Burn. Okay. But it was all a setup to destroy me. <laughs> And Tommy had been sent around. He, I believe he'd had a meeting with uh, Archbishop McQuaid and they had been set up by the church and given a camera to go around England and find, you know, dig up whatever possible dirt he could on me. But um, there I was under the spotlight in the, in the Late Late Show and, and Tommy came, came down, um, you know, from the audience and Gabe Byrne asked him, you know, what, what have you got to tell us about this man? And Tommy said, I have nothing against him. <laughs> so, you know, this man is, you know, for the travelers and all that. And, and, and it, was, it was a great kind of reversal of what, what they intended to happen. Oh, uh, yeah, gotcha. You, you kind of, uh, oh. what they call, ro you roped the dope them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Well done. Well, um, there, there was, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, big Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that, that was where I met Tommy, really, in, the, in that show. But later on, he came to us when we were stopping. It was a very famous um, incident there. We, we took over this place called the, uh, the um, Lansdowne Valley Park. I don't know if you've seen that in Dublin. It's, it's a little park with a low wall um, where I believe some people lost their lives during the rising. And so it's a little commemorative park. Oh, and, I think uh, how, yeah, remembrance, the remembrance park they call it. Remembrance park there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was this was quite early on, um, because we went through about 10 different evictions, but that was quite spectacular because we put all the wagons together in Bluebell Lane, which was then really a rural little place. Um with some properties there which were which were owned by travelers who had a kind of scrapyard there. And some fellas, um, because you know, part of this story is that there was a Republican group that supported the travelers at that time. 
and they went ahead, about four of them went ahead on bicycles and they, and armed with uh, a couple of sledgehammers from this, from this traveler's uh, scrap yard and they knocked down, there was two uh, pillars in the way you couldn't you couldn't get a wagon through the, the gate of the park. Okay, so yeah. There a few pillars there, you know, because obviously it wasn't weren't meant to get in there with vehicles. But they went ahead, knocked them down, and then we sort of galloped down the Nate Road and got in to, to the to the park. Only just <laughs> because as I was going in there, the, the, the hames broke and I got all detached and kind of stuck in the door in the gateway. But a few fellas pushed that in. And the guards were right behind us. They were mad as hell. They literally run around. It's in the dusk then. They're running around the truncheons drawn, looking to see where they could blame for, you know, breaking their way into this park and so on. It's like a wild, wild west story, <laughs> isn't it? It is. We put up a banner, though, up there and said, wake up the mass, because it was Sean Lamass at that time. We, we, we kept in that park for, for a couple of weeks um, prior to a to the only big demonstration that we held, which was a big parade with wagons down O'Connell Street with wow. hundreds of students out of Trinity College who joined us there. Yeah, there is, a, there is a picture of that somewhere. There's an interesting story there because when I grew up, I was just taught to settle people how <coughs> to settle people and where were travels. Simple as, there was no getting where. But when you get a bit older, you see a lot more and you see all these different class systems. But I have found, I have seen that uh, you mentioned republics coming down, breaking down the pillars, making way for travellers. I mean, that mm. in itself is a very Irish thing, you could say. Um, you the young students coming out of Henry VIII's College, if you want to call it for a better word, Trinity College, mm. coming out protesting with travellers. Yeah. So there has been, a, a, despite the media we see all over the years, there was a kind of a good relationship with a lot of settled people and travellers. And was that your experience in Dublin? Well, yes. And no, because you've got supporters, but they weren't always the supporters you wanted. We had, as I said, a, a Republican group, um, which were mainly mentored by Padre O'Connell, Padre O'Donnell. Padre O'Donnell was, was later on a senator in, in, in Dublin, a senator, uh, Padre O'Donnell. Um, he had been, very interestingly, the organizer of the citizen army in Donegal. So he, you know, he's a real old, uh, old school, person. Uh, yeah. Um, and he, you know, he's a fine person. And he, he, I've got a picture of him in fact here where he's standing uh, in, opposite our first school, the first school built, built on the ring road before it was pulled down and burnt by the corporation. The travelers um, build their first, but, their, but their own school. Like Pardon? The travelers build their own school. Yeah. Yeah, the first school, I, I, well, I can't get it off the wall, really. I'd have to get it, heave it off the wall, yeah. Um, the first school was was at that Ring Road place, uh, just just Christmas 1962, coming into 63. Uh, I went off with um, John Mac, a young chap who was uh, probably about 19 years old. He's about a little bit, I guess, a little bit younger than me, but a young chap um, called... John MacDonald, and we went to back to that scrapyard I was telling you about, and I don't remember the name, the, own, the owners of it just for the moment. Yeah, okay. But they gave us, amazingly, 
there were six or eight, eight um, desks, uh, what you call national school school desks yeah, in that yeah, scrapyard. Yeah. And so, of course, we wanted we those. And we got lots of bits of wood and window and <coughs> door. And we put up a very shack-like looking school just in the start of 1963. Uh, but Did travelers feel it was important to have an education, even back then? Well, yes, yes. But I've got to say that this was a bit of a, a thing that we were doing because we'd, we'd, been, we'd been down to City Hall to ask for water and they told us to fuck off. Literally, wow. that's what the manager said to us. Uh, we went down there with about uh, four, four little pony traps and um, you know thought, thought ourselves great because that was the first ever protest. Um, we went down to City Hall, asked for that and he you know, told us to get the hell out of here. So our next step was, you know, it was kind of a active defiance to put up that school. I've got to say that. Yeah, perfect um, point. But the children were loving it. And, uh, you know, it was, we had sing songs going and we had a couple of students coming up probably from Trinity and started some lessons and all that. But within a week, they, the, the council were down on us again. But fortunately, or it made it more dramatic anyhow, we were in touch with the RTE and uh, they had they had the lights set. And uh, when the eviction people arrived, which was lorry loads of uh, council workmen, it was, of course, Big Bill was there leading it all. And and Padre O'Donnell came in his in his lovely gray Mercedes and drove it right into the gate. So it kind of blocked the gate. <coughs> and we had a couple of fires burning. And uh, we got on and, and had a class going in the school and we, we, were, we were singing, uh, we shall not be moved. But Bill Reynolds put a big chain around that school. So the question was, are we gonna let the roof come down on us or are we gonna have to come out? So we had to come out of the school, but I made, made a kind of nonviolent resistance in the school as long as it was possible, yeah. Yeah. The council didn't think twice about one telling you to fuck off, two using uh, physical, I don't want to call that violence, yeah. pushing people back, breaking down their properties. I mean, oh, there, yeah, there was no, it was like if it was normal, especially when they were coming normal. with all the workers. Uh, and you know, I was, I wasn't, I hadn't seen all this kind of thing go on, so I didn't know what was legal and not legal really. But the people with wagons, we all pulled out on the road. I think there were about eighteen wagons there. But the people who had just their tents and little shacks that they put, they, that was all destroyed. You know, a lot of stuff was destroyed. Baby clothes was destroyed. Tents were destroyed. And when we look back, because we lined up on the road um, with a tricolor flag at the front, Republican flag at the front to kind of emphasize that we were, you know, where is the proclamation of the Republic? How does that apply to us? You know, where's, where's that promise that uh, everyone in Ireland should and That's right. Advice. Never yeah. happened. Nineteen twenty-two. Just reminds me. Have you, have you got uh, relatives that come from Ireland? Yeah, I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. My my grandparents were from Gorey County Wexford. Yeah, you already had the Irish connection, so I had Irish connections. Yeah, in several ways. Yeah. Tell me, because um, I don't know if this part is true or not. I because you know when you're younger, when you come into the movement, you hear all the rumors that once happened, and you hear all about these legends, including yourself. But I heard once time that the council, and it 
could well be Mr. Reynolds for high enough by the sounds of him, big bad Dan. But it's a, it was a case that they're almost blackmailing the travellers. They were saying, we will give you drinking water if you destroy your homes and move into houses. Is there any truth ah. in that kind of stuff? Ah, well, I don't know about the drinking water version, but it was a policy that if you wanted to move into a house, which some people did try, uh, you, you had to surrender your wagon. And Big Bill put a match to it. They burnt the wagon. And that wagon was going to be, say, the most valuable thing that, that that family might have. And they would have to sacrifice their wagon to go up in flames in order to, to move into a house, say, same Valley Firm or one of the other estates. It was almost uh, they're making a statement from the state. Uh, this your culture does not belong here. Yeah, we're literally we putting can, it up in flames. We don't value it. You can destroy it, destroy it. I mean, the whole point of the. Um, I mean, we're going around in circles here a bit, but when the Commission on Itinerancy made its report, it was quite clear that the point of the report was uh, assimilation. Um, see the disappearance of the travellers. The travellers were going to have to be, you know, <laughs> stop travelling, okay. to put it very just for, people, just for people that traveling. may not have heard of the 1963 report, and yeah. I'll just tell you what I think I know of it. Basically, it was a government-issued report. Uh, some travellers believed it was because JFK was due to come back to Ireland and they wanted to rid of this eyesore. Others believe because Fianna Fáil at the time started doing deals with the Americans or bringing in international investment. So basically the 1963 report was about forced assimilation yeah. with the impression that they were being nice and polite and kind and giving people uh, opportunities and choices. But now we're hearing, as we just did, uh, burning of wagons, the institutionalization of young children Travellers up and down the country that never met each other were now linked by this 63 report that seen yeah. them as the others. Now, we know the report itself talked language like um, the final solution. Yeah. You mentioned earlier on, surprisingly enough, that uh, there was a blue shirt um, vibe about Dublin or Ireland. They, they, I mean, they literally were blue shirts. Uh, so this was before the 1963. Now they're using language uh, like uh, the final solution, which is the same language that was used in Germany. Um, yeah. We've seen in some of the reports I had is that they were also talking about how they would label travellers so the police would recognise us. And the only reason they scrapped it was because they said it would be too expensive. Mm -hmm. This is 1963, 14, 15 years after Germany. Before Germany, they already had that mentality of the others and the minorities. Yeah. So the 63 report has been a living, terrifying experience right to this moment for Irish travellers. So I thought yeah. I'd give that, unless you'd like to add to that or take anything away from it, but that's my impression from it. It was, that's what it was. You're not exaggerating at all. Of course, there was pretty well, very, very little consultation with the travellers at that time. You know, there was supposed to be an inquiry into to speak to travellers. And of course, just labelling travellers itinerants was somehow a bit of a degrading too. <clears throat> so Judge Walsh, the only person that, that I know of that he met was uh, Joe Donahue, because they had a meeting up at Ballet Firm at a, at a social centre. 
And at that time, the travelers were up in a place they called the California Hills. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. The California oh, Hills was a big stopping place. A lot of people were up there. Uh, but they had, they had also suffered an attack by vigilantes up there. By This was probably a couple of years before I arrived. But uh, wagons had been pushed over and people hurt. And uh, they were on the ring road because they'd had to evacuate from, from the California Hills. They went down onto that factory land near, near the Grand Canal on the, on the ring road. So that's where I joined up with them. Um, it, so, it sounds like, it feels like a very busy, almost frightening life for young children to be involved because all these stories we hear about has an element of violence attached to it. It has people coming out in big cars, putting chains around buildings, telling people to fuck off, denying them water and access. I mean, well, that's a trauma ongoing, isn't it? It was, it was. Well, we, we, we as I said, we lined up on the ring road. We, we only went a couple of miles. We went uh, down to uh, the Long Mile Road, crossed over there into Walkingstown, and it was just getting to evening time. So we had to stop somewhere. And we were look, we'd been looking back and seeing these little fires all over the old a ring road place where they set fire to the school and, and the little huts and everything was gone. Uh, so we were in a pretty desperate mood. And um, so a couple of us jumped off and, and went to the fence and pulled down some fencing. And we got onto a very narrow strip of land. It's probably been built on by now, but there was a narrow strip of land just at the corner of Walkingstown Avenue and the Long Mile Road. And that's where we put, we pulled all the wagons in there. It was about seven o'clock in the evening. Uh, and we just got settled in and probably getting something to eat when a squad car came down there and drove right onto the land. And there was an inspector there with, with, three, with three guards. And I'm not kidding you. It's, first of all, his breath smelled of whiskey, drink. And he said, if you are not up, out of here in one hour, we'll be coming back and burn you out. He said that. We have, we'll burn you out. We'll burn you out if you're not moved with now. Well, we hadn't anyone to go, so we stuck it out. <coughs> and nothing happens, a kind of a bluff. So luckily we, we, we kind of stood the bluff and stood our ground. Um, and I remember Nan Donahue was there and she was one of the people who was kind of calming me down. She said, ah, oh, never mind the pig's face bastards, you know. <laughs> <laughs> pig face bastards. You know? We'll eat them for our breakfast, she said, if they come back. <laughs> anyway, so we, we made, we made <laughs> our yeah, You mentioned um, earlier on, which is kind of a nice uh, little surprise too. You mentioned two men that you knew, which might be a bit biased. But initially, 1959, they started up the first maybe travel organization. Yeah. Man Donner was in a very bad way at that time. You know, she had about six children with her. And... Uh, Push, pushing stuff around in a pram and God knows what, but you know, she, she, she was with us. That was Nan Donahue because Nan Donahue was a sister of Joe Donahue and, oh, pa, and, and, pa, and old Pa Donahue who one leg, I'm sure Travers will remember him because he had one leg. He's from Mullingar and uh, he'd had an accident on the railway sometime and he, he was with us. He had one leg, Pa Donahue was a lovely man. And, and that, their, their sister was Nan, Nan Donahue. And what, may I ask, when, what year was that roughly about? Well, we're, we're just talking about the early 1960s, you know. 1960s, the early 1960s. Yeah, yeah. To me, when I would look at the pictures, you see these women in black and white in the 1960s, outstanding, proud, 
with yeah. signs and black cards and saying, look, we are human beings. We are, yeah. we need to, to live. It seems a lot of this stuff was happening even before the civil rights had started in Northern Ireland. Um, oh, yes. civil... it, it, it came, it, we, were, we were several years ahead of the Northern Ireland civil rights movement, but we had a connection with it. Eamon McCann, you'll know his name. He Alleged. came down and stopped with us at a place um, which was the seventh lock. We had a, an eviction at the seventh lock. Eamon McCann was with us. And later on, Bernadette Devlin joined the Gypsy Council and uh, was at a big meeting. We had to get together on the on the Derby uh, Epsom Downs because every every year travelers uh, get together on the Epsom Downs. But one year they they tried to stop us. So we said we'd stop the Derby. This was about 1967, after I'd gone back to England. Bernadette Devlin was, was with us there. Yeah, in fact, I've just been writing a bit about her, catching up on her history because... Yeah, I haven't met the woman in person, but um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm very familiar and aware of a um, wonderful human being. And Eamon McCann, I can say the yeah. same thing. I've met him a couple of times. Uh, okay. wonderful, a wonderful, loud, loud man. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was only a very young chap when he came down to to stop with us in a little tent, he had brought a little tent and a couple of them with the other chaps, I can't remember. But the biggest thing that, uh, perhaps the biggest thing Bernadette Devlin did with us was, was all very spontaneous at a place called uh, Turkey Street. This is in North, North uh, London. Uh, and just, we were making a little stand there and of course we we're gonna be in a bit evicted. And she happened to be giving a lecture in the local, technical college so we went in there it was all spontaneous and she got the whole student body of that college to come out which was about 700 students and we all marched with the travelers at the front and were very close to taking over the local police station we we got there they, they just about got their people in front of us there was a big sit down in front in front of that station um, that was a that was a good day yeah yeah i can imagine it, it, it was uh, terrific but burned uh, out great person absolutely I, hopefully i get to meet her sometime i actually get her on for a podcast because they, um, they say she was related to the the um the uh delphi devlins delphi devlins who were travelers who went around probably selling china and stuff from from i suppose also from cookstown where she was from well just, yeah well like Travel. i said before we keep going back you can keep remo removing the labels and you'll find the human beings that were connected throughout the centuries and colonization and then in 1922 of course ireland never changed any of them colonial systems this mm. is why i maintain today that uh, the state still sees irish travelers as the english wants to see the irish uh, yeah. if you look at the treatment of irish travelers it's very similar what the english did to the irish it's very similar yeah. what the protestants yeah. did to the catholics um and it seems to be unchanged the other thing i was going to mention to you because all them stories started long before I was even born. But even today now, it seems to me that travellers are worse off today than they were throughout any of them times. Psychologically, for one, we see with the suicides, the, the drug use, um, almost a loss of identity at this stage. Um, and people are in a kind of an identity crisis. Uh, would you like to talk anything about that or any well, references? Well, one... The the way I want to kind of frame it is that once we broke into Cherry Orchard, and mine, mine was the first wagon in there, we'd been stopping on a place called the Back Road, which goes between Palmerston and, uh, and uh, Fever Hospital there at Cherry Orchard. 
we broke in and we got there's a huge piece of land and travelers were coming from all over Ireland to that piece of land. And, and that's another person I want to remember. And that's Larry Ward, who came Larry up from Loch Cray with eight wagons. It took him about a week to come up and join us there. And it's a terrific reinforcement. Wow. And, and the thing is, there's a great spirit you see at Cherry Orchard. We, we rebuilt our school. That was, we call that St. Christopher's too. I've got a picture of that on the wall here too. Um, and there was a tremendous community and we were looking after ourselves, you know, people who had, you know, we're helping each other. I mean, there was, there was, um, it was weird. Really. This was a lesson for me, but when we first moved in there, there was people in vendor tents, practically on the bare earth with just a bit of straw between them and the earth. But in the, after a few months, when we got, we felt more secure, people started to build shacks. Well, shacks might look very poor, but they were a lot yeah. better than tents because we used to put in wooden floors. You only had to get a few um, pallets and bake a wooden floor and so on. So we, we were a community, we were helping ourselves. And then along came the people who wanted to help them. Well, they were our supporters, but it was, it was wrong. It was wrong because we had a great meeting with, there was a father Fihili, Fihili who was the chaplain, he'd been made the tra Travers chaplain. There was Lady Wicklow and there was Victor Bewley. They were the main people. Now, Victor Bewley, I wouldn't say, uh, it was a great person. He was a, a Quaker and it, it, he owned the Bewley cafes. And he, want, he, he, he took four wagons onto his own land. That's how far it'd go. But nothing was done for the people at Cherry Orchard. There was a public uh, fundraising, which collected 10,000 pounds. That was all in the hands of Father Feely. If you now wanted something, it was, wasn't any longer about self-help, you would go to his door and beg for it. Oh, See what I mean? God, yeah, so yeah. The whole initiative of a community doing something for itself, our spirits were in a way broken by that. We had the school, but they wanted no, they wanted to ship the children downtown in a bus and to be get, get some kind of uh, teaching by the Little Sisters of Charity. The children didn't like that. One little boy came back and he'd been shut in the cupboard shut in a cupboard because he wouldn't keep still in the desk. Well, traveling children, how are you gonna keep still in a desk when you're used to running around the place? But yeah. we were running this little school with some student help on the lines of the Montessori schools, which meant you worked on whatever you wanted to work on, little bits of equipment, and you could leave and go out and then come back again. And this people were so happy in that school and altogether about 76, children and adults had classes there. People didn't want to leave at the end of the class because we had to have, we had to have, you know, roundabout, we had to have a class that came for an hour and then another lot of people come in, you know, to give everybody a turn. But it's quite hard to get the people who would come on the first session to leave to let the second <laughs> session in. That's how great it was. That was the same. So, you know, we got, we, we, we people came forward and, and um, the Quakers provided milk for the school. The Republicans provided a kind of 
uh, honor guard, if you like, because they marched up and down with, with uh, um, <laughs> justice for itinerance. But the thing about the Republicans <laughs> was they would not join in the type of resistance that we developed. You'll see a picture of it somewhere where we're all on the ground. As my wagon is in, in the gap. This was at, Labra, this was at um, Seventh Lock, where Eamon McCann was. And we just got on the ground and clutched onto the, the uh, shafts of the wagon and, and the wheels and all that to do a, a non-violent type of resistance, you know. And they were, the Republican chaps were walking up and down with this justice for ideas, but they wouldn't join. They, that, that was to, they, they didn't want to join that in this thing where you sit down, you know. It's all stand up and get violent. <laughs> you, know, you know, the different, different ideology they're going on. Yeah. It, it, so it's like a... Our tactics won because um, a lot of the workmen work, walked off the job, walked off the job. Wow. Because a, a, a young um, steward, a steward from one of the flats somewhere at Crumlin, I think, got up and said that, that the Transport and General Workers Union had passed a resolution saying no member should take any hand act or part in this kind of eviction work. So someone went off and there was only seven guys left there, seven corporation men, to move the last wagons off that patch of ground at the seventh lock. So what did we do? We got 15 people inside one wagon. It was bulging with people. <laughs> Wandering wagon. <laughs> and, and Bill, yeah, and Bill Reynolds put himself in the shaft to pull it up, pull it out. <laughs> it's like, a, it's like it, it a movie. It. it was like, well, I wish we'd made a movie at the time. Yeah, because the woman who, whose wagon it was, she, she was trying to feed the baby with a pan of milk pan of milk so she went to the door of the wagon and threw that over scorched, scorched him threw this whole pan of milk over over his shoulders you know and that that was the end of that eviction you know we, we won we stopped well it. done yeah why yeah not? yeah and for me because i was involved with activism and setting up travel organizations yeah and again it, it, sometimes you meet these people that are sincere and serious and mm. then you meet other people who are very sincere but are not really serious about getting down and with it and uh, making these changes. And for me, because I've been kind of in conflict with some of the travel organizations for the last you know, almost 20 years, mm. not something that I that I that I wanted to do. But at the same time, I knew I came from a very broken, traumatized background myself. Uh, but I also, with that, mm. I also had a proud element of our people and our culture. Mm. So I was always like that kind of angry conflict with the settled people putting us down or thinking there was something wrong with us and they were somehow superior. So of course, the longer you understand that there's a big difference between education and intelligence. And yeah. then you get a little older, you're starting to say, hold for a second, this is not even our education. It's not yeah. even their education. All these systems and institutions were created to um, the 1600s conquest of Ireland and had yeah. never changed in 1922. And yeah. here we are who were excluded, ostracized, demonized, criticized, brutalized uh, throughout the centuries. So we're like a walking ball of trauma in ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what I find today is that it's going the, the it's it's still going the wrong direction. Actually it's escalating in the wrong direction because the settled people who are helping us have it in their ideology that they are the Irish by default, that yeah. they are the normal community. Yeah. 
and that we needed our they, we needed their help. Um, I've seen this even today with travel organisations, and I am convinced of it, my friend. This is related to the psychological issues travellers are having today. It's because we we've been stripped of our identity. Now we got travel organisations that are called traveler and roma organizations mm. and of course i i love the flag behind you i know roma people nothing wrong with their community or their culture very similar to our own yeah. but it's slightly different than that in that its origins its history so we come from an irish indigenous background yeah a, a gaelic culture the, the wonderful roma who very similar like ourselves were kings queens Under leaders Rome, yeah. yeah came from northern india and other places like this and were ruling class people themselves at one time or another or whatever the reason may be but here in ireland they've adapted traveler and roma as one group and their organizations are are, are funding this supporting this and for me and um it's, it's, it's frustrating because we feel as travelers we're being excluded from our own organizations like when you mentioned earlier about the the priest and the blankets there was only one person you had to go now and you had to beg them well, I yeah, well, that's where we're at now with the organizations. Well, what, what completely uh, encapsulates this, that we had started this thing and we called it the Dublin Itinerant Settlement Committee, which isn't a great name, but they took that name. But And it was a traveler committee, Dublin Traveler Settlement Committee, Cherry Orchard Committee. They took it but no travelers were any, any longer on it. No travelers were any longer on it. And that's how I think it went right up to, then there was a national uh, committee, look, it's supposed to you know, do things for travelers, but there were no travelers on it. And I, I only realized later, I became a little bit more sophisticated. I realized that what, what the difference was that there were people who would come along and they'd want to do something for you for you yeah rescue yeah. you very paternalistic but not with you and not activating the community because in all those evictions although they were horrible there was also a kind of a proud proudness because we were we knew we were fighting for ourselves and we stood up for ourselves and people got a great spirit out of that but when everything everything is taken out of your hands you've got no political power at all any influence then of course that's when the ap apathy comes in and the drink comes in and the you know, destruction of a whole culture comes into it. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know how the Roma are getting on in Ireland? I mean, uh, I, do, I don't, I haven't heard lately. I do hear from one or two people, but I, I don't, I haven't got a running sort of commentary. I, I heard about that terrible murder of the girl, the girl that was some years ago, who was, was found dead and, up in, in. And the kidnapping of uh, their children because they had blonde hair. Um, yeah. We had an incident in Ireland also. It just seems to be something with the state and these others, they call them. And oddly enough, what's wonderful now about the history and the science that we're learning is that we can now turn around and say to settled people that they, not all settled people came from settled world. They didn't come from the colonial world. Many even got Irish names like ourselves. And like ourselves who were broken down by the state to the Magdalene Londrins, uh, yeah. to one form of suppression or another, taken as children, brought into institutions, re-educated, come out the other side and are now looking down on us, calling us tinkers and gypsies and knackers and all the names you can come into, not realizing that a few decades, if not sooner or longer, they would have came from the same world as our own, the same culture. Yeah. Um, and that's one of, the, it's, it's, it's one of the sad things and one of the good things to find out about science and history 
is now that we can hold our own uh, at a very intellectual kind of level, because we have it, we can say, look at it, you can talk to us until the cows come home, but you were colonized and you hadn't changed the systems. And then systems have continued to attack Irish travelers and have driven us psychologically over the edge. So you can wipe us out if you want to, but you'll never be Irish because we are the last of the Irish. That's my message. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, well, better republic. Well. <laughs> well, looking into the future, of course, I think travelers are very good at ad adopting and probably be the survivors of climate change. But, you know, we've been. We've been, I mean, talking of Britain, uh, we've been dealt a terrible blow with Brexit because the whole continent was, was uh, opening up. And, and, you know, some of the people who were at Cherry Orchard, their grandchildren are the people who, who built Dale Farm, who put Dale Farm together. It was that generational thing. The wow, I did not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Flynn's and O'Brien's particularly. Uh, who, were, who were at Cherry Orchard, their grandchildren were at Dale Farm. And they had wow. businesses, they, they had containers, when people at Dale, Dale Farm, they had containers coming from China with, loaded with furniture, and they were dealing in furniture on that kind of scale. And they were traveling out as far as Sweden, Poland, Spain was nothing to them, France, Germany, and, 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 and sharing camping places with some of the Sinti in Germany, they, they told me. But that's, that's what do you miss it? That's stopped. That's stopped, unfortunately. With Brexit, Brexit. Do you miss it? You, it has, and I, I think um, there's a even with yeah here in Ireland we, we don't have the Brexit concern. And I've actually, if anything, they seem to do to kind of take a I would say advantage, take a certain satisfaction in seeing Britain suffer as a result maybe of historical events. But at the same time, they cannot realise that they're doing the exact same thing as the British were doing. It was, did you ever hear that saying where the oppressed becomes your oppressor? Yeah. Well, in Ireland's case, it's where the colonized became the colonizers because they've continued in practices onto travelers to this right this moment. But I was going to ask you, do you have any favorite memories uh, in Dublin with the travelers? Like singers, songwriters, musicians, piss takers. I'm sure there had to be quite a few piss takers. Well, of course, so there's... We're, were the Furies. The Furies were, were living in a house there in, in uh, Ballyferman, and I was often in their house with, with Finn Barr, and they'd come out to, to the, the Ring Road first. Uh, I remember Teddy Fury coming out there and said, he told he said, they'll never let you stop here. He said, what's the point in building a school? They'll, you know, they'll pull it down. He was dead right. But um, they, they came up then to Cherry Orchard and, and played, and also the, and the Dubliners did. Um, uh, yeah. Luke Kelly and them. Luke, Luke Kelly was a terrific supporter, yeah. Yeah, well, who I heard mentioned that? Well, actually, I heard young John Connors mention that, that um, these the, the, the Dubliners, uh, Jimi Hendrix, I believe, and a couple of more of them, young musicians, would come over and mix and mingle with, um, the, with the travellers, sing songs and the whole lot. Yeah, that's right. We had great sing songs up, up at Cherry Orchard, yeah. Paddy Keenan too, who is a top piper, you know, went, he's been in America for many years since, but he, he was a young chap of about 80 at that time, the, the pipes. Would you say it's fair to say, Din, that travellers were very educated, intelligent people, that if they had containers come from all over the world, there were business people, there were musicians, there were gifted, talented, 
And the only thing then there was what? The, the, the default. The only thing that the state didn't like was this culture of theirs. Mm. Didn't like their wagons and their nomadism. Um, didn't yeah. like them being cheeky, uh, for sure, anyway. So that was, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate sequence of events because I grew up around that. I mean, uncles, cousins, nephews took suicide. Uh, all these abuses went on from a very young age, being called tinkers, gypsies, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And one thing here now, you're talking about it, um, and we, I can relate to it because I've lived it. But at the same mm. time, there's travels right this moment living the exact same thing. It's almost like we're outside this kind of mentality shield that on yeah. one side they're programmed to see is this way and this way only. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very unfortunate um, state of affairs, well, my friend. Yeah, it's, it's a clash really between travellers and settled because there's two different, you know, you see Westerns about it, don't you? You see about the, the homesteaders and they don't want the, the ranchers to come in with their, with their herds and all that. Well, it's, an, it's, a, it's a very ancient, but unfortunately, it's the uh, settled folk that make all the laws, and they make plenty of laws against against the travellers, which is exactly what's happening in Britain now with the with the, the other um, part of it too. The other part of it also got, and I'm going to let you go soon because I realise my phone is starting to die off. But um, the other part of that is that we do not, and I'm sure I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we don't. I never had it. The same animosity, or hate, or contentment, or dislike for settled people in the same way settled people have it for our people. Because of it's just a weird situation because we don't hate the people. We're not against the people. Mm. And actually, the more we get more familiar with more it, tolerant. we realize a lot of them people actually came from our world. Mm. Um, the people that didn't actually came from the old colonial English mentality, which would explain why they never changed the systems in 22. Yeah. So they have that control that we talk about, they make the laws. Well, they're all just adding on to old English laws against exactly. Irish people now labelled travellers. Exactly. So it's that ancient cultural clash you're talking about, I imagine. Well, it yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, well, of course, uh, for many people who feel that the, the Republic never became, you know, the socialist Republic that some, some had fought for originally in the citizen army and all that. That's right. A great, great big disappointment for, for Larkin and those people, the, the, the trade union people and the citizen army. James Condley, uh, all these people yeah. that died for the. Um, yeah. But I, I'm hoping part of me believes and feels also that we are now, in generally, uh, globally, that we're smarter, more intelligent people. That we're not 1916, we're not 1922, we're not 1963. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, in some way, we can negotiate an understanding around historical trauma. Because if Ireland has never dealt with its own trauma, that means it's living in denial of its own trauma. Yeah. So I'm thinking hopefully we can decolonize Ireland. And oh, it's gone a long way in it, that direction in the recent years. It's a, a main, huge changes have taken place. There? Yeah. And we're going to try to get a life-size statue of yourself in Dublin huh. outside <laughs> outside the Dublin City Council. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything no, I'd like you I like to say okay. and finish up with? And I'm sorry for cutting you short. It's just I'm down to three percent of my damn yep. cheap. Okay, phone. Grant, that's good. But uh, I'd like you to say goodbye. And I'm, I'm personally, for me, I'm very grateful uh, for all you have done. And I'm sure many travelers that never met you and probably will never meet you, uh, somehow or another, that our life has been that little bit better because there are people like yourself, Amy McCann, Bernadette um, Miss Kumsky. 
and so on and so forth. So okay, I would like to personally thank you. But I'd like to say, you know, a great, a great thank you to the people who did make the stand at Cherry Orchard. And I was with the uh, Jerry, Luke, and Martin Wall, and uh, the O'Briens and Flynn's, who I've mentioned a little bit, and and, and everybody who was who was there, the Cashes and the Connors, great people, great people, thank and the great and the great adapters. They will well, be the ones that head humanity through climate change and come out the other side of it. I'm sure of it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's quite possible. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but uh, look at um, till the next time we talk, my friend. Keep well, look after yourself, yep. and. Thank right. you for everything you've done. Okay. Take Glad care. To, God bless. Bye-bye. Lovely to talk bye -bye. to you. Okay.